You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking Rates and Lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, everyone. This is Rico Mohammed coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. Tonight we have our special guest host joining us tonight. Mr. Hank Seaton, transportation attorney extraordinaire. So if you have any questions that surround transportation law, whether to deal with contracts, negotiation, anything that dealing at whatsoever with uh, transportation law, go ahead and press the number one, get on board, and you can ask your question directly to Hank. You can ask your question directly to Hank tonight. So um, with that said, we're not going to waste any more time. We're going to jump right into the DAT trend line report. I'm trying to get the USDA fruit and vegetable report up, but it's not. Uh, computers acting a little crazy tonight, so it's not a whole lot going on as far as the USDA trend, uh, USDA report is concerned. The DAT trend lines report tonight, and we're going to start out. With reviewing December 6th through the 12th, the demand for trucks declined after a surge in load postings in the previous week. Spot market van rates fell five cents, while reefer and flatbed each slipped one cent due to lower fuel surcharges. And let's take a deeper look, take a deeper dive into the U.S. van demand and capacity report for December 6th through the 12th. Following a post-Thanksgiving surge, Van load posts fell 25% week over week, and truck posts increased 22%. The resulting load to truck ratio dropped 38% from 2.8 down to 1.7 loads per truck. The national average van rate slid five cents to one dollar and seventy-two cents per mile, including a one cent drop in the average fuel surcharge. Van loads postings increased 1% in November compared to October. Capacity declined 14%, which led to a 17% increase in the load-to-truck ratio from 1.5 to 1.8 loads per truck. Compared to an atypical November 2014, the ratio was down 49%. Moving on over into U.S. van rates for December 6th through the 12th. Van rates fell five cents last week to a national average of a dollar seventy two per mile. Van demand was down as well as rates in Chicago held steady but took a plunge in the Seattle markets. National average van rates unchanged at a dollar seventy one per mile in November as a one cent increase in the line haul rate offset a one cent decline in the average fuel surcharge compared to November of twenty fourteen. Last month's rates fell 35 cents, including a 21 cents drop in the fuel surcharge from November of 2014. Taking a quick tour around the country, we have rates averaging in the northeastern portion of the United States for dry vans at $1.72 per mile. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, we have van rates averaging $1.70 per mile. Moving up and into the middle portion of the of the country in the Midwest, average van rate showing a dollar ninety seven cents per mile. Dropping back down into the south central region of the United States, we have a dollar fifty seven cents per mile on average 
And I'm sorry, I, may, I usually give out the cities. Out of the northeast, we have Philadelphia showing at 172. In the southeastern, we have Atlanta showing at dollar seventy cents per mile average. Midwest Chicago checks in with that one dollar ninety-seven cents per mile average. And the south central portion of the United States, that one dollar fifty-seven cents per mile average is coming out of Dallas, Texas. Over on the west coast, the left coast, we have the high water mark for dry vans being set out of the city of Angels, Los Angeles, showing us $2.02 per mile on average for dry van freight coming out of Los Angeles. Moving on over into the flatbed, national flatbed demand and capacity report for December 6th through the 12th. Flatbed load postings were down 1% and truck capacity added 18% compared to the previous week. As a result, the national load-to-truck ratio was down 16% from 8.2 to 6.8 loads per truck. The national average flatbed rate fell one cent due to a one cent drop in the average fuel surcharge. Flatbed load availability dropped 38% in November when compared to October, and capacity declined 8%. The resulting load-to-truck ratio dropped 32% from 9.9% down to 6.7 loads per truck. Compared to unusually high demand of November 2014, the ratio has declined 60% over that time frame. Moving on over into the U.S. flatbed rates, the national rates for December 6th through the 12th for flatbed spot market rates fell one cent to a national average of $1.91 per mile last week due to a drop in average fuel surcharge. Demand declined for flatbeds compared to the previous week. Flatbed rates in November were down $0.08 cents from the average in October at $1.92 per mile. The total rate was down $0.37 cents compared to a national average, in Nove national average rate in November of 2014, which includes a $0.24 cents decline in the fuel surcharge. Taking a trip around the country, we have Harrisburg, PA, checking in, showing an average rate for flatbeds at $2.65 per mile. That's out of the northeastern corridor. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, we have Atlanta, Georgia, checking in at $2.18 per mile on average for flatbeds. Moving up into the midwestern portion of the United States, we have Rock Island, Illinois, checking in, showing a $2.18 average for flatbeds. Moving down into the south-central portion of the United States, Houston, Texas, shows an average rate of $1.91 per mile for flatbeds. Moving over into the west coast, the left coast, we have Phoenix, Arizona, checking in, showing an average rate for flatbeds at $1.72 per mile. Moving back over into the reefer national demand and capacity report for December 6th through the 12th, reefer load postings declined 26% compared to the previous week's posting from a Thanksgiving Day surge, postings increased 24% to yield a 40% decline in national load-to-truck ratio from 5.7 down to 3.4 loads per truck. The national average reefer rate dipped one cent due to a declining fuel surcharge. Reefer load volumes rose 1% in November, compared to October and capacity decline 9%. The result was an 11% increase in the load-to-truck ratio from 3.8 up to 4.2 loads per truck, compared to an atypical demand of November of 2014, 
this ratio has fallen 62% over that time frame. So let's move over into the U.S. reefer rates report for December 6th through the 12th. Reefer spot market rates dropped one cent to a national average of $1.94 per mile. Due to a decline in the fuel surcharge, prices rose in Elizabeth, New Jersey, while outbound reefer rates fell in southern Idaho. Reefer rates in November were unchanged from October average of $1.94 per mile. The national average reefer spot market rate was down 43%, 43 cents, I'm sorry, compared to November of 2014, which includes a 22 cents decline in the average fuel surcharge. Just as a side note, the national average fuel price was $2.34 a gallon. That is down uh, four cents from last week. And moving around the country, the rates coming in, checking, coming out of Elizabeth, New Jersey, out of the northeastern portion of the United States, the average reefer rate shows out of Elizabeth, New Jersey, $1.86 per mile. Moving into the southeastern portion of the United States, Lakeland, Florida shows an average reefer rate of $1.40 per mile. Up in the Midwest, coming out of Green Bay, Wisconsin, setting the high water mark for reefers, shows an average rate of $2.71 per mile coming out of Green Bay, Wisconsin. McAllen, Texas is the south central uh, representative city showing an average rate for reefers at $1.72 per mile. And over on the left coast, the west coast, we show an average rate coming out of Fresno, California, for reefers at $1.87 per mile. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, and no further ado, we want to go ahead and bring on our special guest tonight, Mr. Hank Seaton. And once again, if you have any transportation law questions, you can go ahead and press number one. Don't be bashful. We go, Hank is here to, to help. He's here to take your calls and answer your questions. So with no further ado, we're going to go ahead and bring Hank on, and, and uh, hopefully we'll get some guys that's not too not too afraid to go ahead and press number one and get up and ask us some questions tonight. But, Hank, uh, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fine, Rico. It has uh, been a busy month, uh, both on the Hill and with the FMCSA, and uh, I've got some things to talk about, but I'm happy to take any questions anybody has. They're really, I guess, uh three issues that have broken uh, since we got together last, and uh, we can take them in any order you think important. Uh, we've got what's called the Unified Registration System, which is going to change the way people file for new authority. We've got a highway bill that's uh, got a bunch of hidden goodies in it, and we've got an agency that says it's coming out with a new safety fitness determination before New Year's Eve, and uh, each of those has some implications for the folks on the phone. Right. And I guess one place one place maybe to start out is in uh transfer in the highway bill. Uh let's start out with talking about the uh removing of the CSA scores from public view rather. Yeah, uh we had a uh webinar yesterday uh with the uh nine uh uh associations that had supported a particular point of view that uh, surprisingly Congress adopted, uh, and I think it was a very happy day for that to happen. Uh, when we got to the last minute of the highway bill, uh, we had the differing bills in the Senate and the House. Both the Senate and the House had provisions that would require 
SMS methodology and scores to be taken down for about 26 months and directed the agency during that time to uh, uh, take a close look at SMS methodology and prove to the satisfaction of the uh, Congress that uh, there was some correlation between it and safety before they could put it back up. It's also a provision common to both bills that said uh, that the data could not be used in preparing a safety fitness determination. That is a rule that would uh, change the existing way that carriers are certified and safe to operate. Uh, I'm happy to report that that portion of each bill was adopted into law. The thing that was particularly troubling was the uh, transportation intermediaries uh, had attempted to get an act passed that would say that there would be a hiring standard under which uh, uh, they would not be required to uh, have to second-guess the agency in making a safety fitness determination. We thought that that bill was a, a bad bill because it unhinged the agency having to make a decision from the ultimate decision that a shipper would have to make. It's been our argument all along that if the agency certifies somebody is safe to operate, they're safe to use. And we had urged support of a bill that would just have affirmed that because uh, uh, the shipper and broker should have no more legal liability for using a licensed carrier than a, a person has a responsibility for second-guessing uh, which airline is safe to use. That's a government function. They're the ones that should do it. So, well, so, 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 so ahead, just, just, just to be clear, yeah, so just to be clear on that, on as far as that hiring practices, that that's no longer uh, that that kind of cut that gutted that whole thing when they did that, or is that still in effect? Yeah, the, 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 the unfortunate thing was uh, that bill got so morphed that the way it was uh, presented by the House, the only carrier that a shipper or broker could use was one that had a satisfactory safety rating effectively saying that 90% of the carriers, far more than almost 98% of the small carriers, would not have been able to get any freight. And uh, we were uh, fortunate in getting that stricken from the bill and included in the ultimate highway bill a uh, provision that said, basically, unless the carrier has been placed out of service or found to be unsatisfactory, it's fit to operate and fit to use. So... While we were all doing victory laps saying that Congress had finally put the agency in its place, two other things occurred. One, the insurance industry uh, is uh, has grown accustomed to using SMS methodology, and they are asking their computer gurus to continue to calculate CSA scores so they can determine what premiums to charge. That is something that we're going to try to fight to convince the insurance companies that the data is so corrupted that they shouldn't even use it, but frankly, they're not paying much attention to reason. Uh, also, there are purveyors of uh, uh, SMS scores that are still going to try to make their own calculations and sell them to shippers. So we're going to have our hands busy convincing shippers 
not to use the scores and insurance companies not to use the scores because Congress has at least now said that they don't uh, they don't add up. Uh, so uh, on the one hand, uh, we probably got the best we were going to get out of Congress. We got affirmation that carriers that are licensed to operate are fit to use. Uh, we got uh, hopefully SMS methodology taken down for a minimum of 26 months. But the other interesting fact is one week after the highway bill passed, the agency has announced that it's going to come out with its long-awaited safety fitness determination. Uh, many of us are scratching our heads saying, how are they going to come out with a new rule when Congress has told them they can't use their precious SMS methodology for 26 months? Uh, that's left to be seen, but sometime before the first of the year, they're intent on publishing something. And I think it will be incumbent upon industry to hold together, take a very close look at it. Uh, uh, you can expect the uh, uh, the agency to continue with its uh, past course of uh, trying to rate people from the numbers without an audit, trying to uh, uh, publish scores uh, without uh, uh, thoroughly looking at them and uh, in the first three months of the next year, uh, I imagine we'll, we will be busy because it's the last year of the Obama administration, and clearly they are bloodied by the highway bill but have yet to bow to uh, the will of Congress. So uh, with that happy analysis, I, I can say that uh, hopefully uh, if you're a small carrier, you will feel some relief from the use of SMS methodology. Uh, some loosening of insurance prices, uh, but uh, there uh, will be watchful waiting in terms of what is the next move from the agency on this safety fitness determination. I hope there are a number of questions concerning this. I know from the point of view of a small carrier, your eyes kind of gloss over with uh, uh, all of the confusion on the Hill. Some of the confusion is exacerbated by the fact that the large carriers like SMS methodology, uh, they're too big to fail in a way. Uh, they've even gotten written into the highway bill provisions for getting additional credit for putting uh, uh, more telemetrics on the truck. In other words, uh, if, a, if a large carrier wanted to not only have the ELD, which would now be mandated, but also a front and rear-facing camera or... Right. Uh, Maybe additional kinds of uh, of, of electronic sensors on the truck. Uh, they think that uh, they should be given a a, a credit against uh, their scores and their audits for use of uh, additional telemetrics. Uh, in that regard, uh, another rule has come down that I think uh, may be of particular interest to uh, people on the line. It's a so-called coercion rule, and the coercion rule says that shippers and brokers can be fined if they coerce a driver into violating FMCSA safety rules. Of course, among those safety rules are hours of service requirements. Uh, towards the uh, end of the rulemaking process, uh, shippers and brokers uh, uh, were crying to the agency that 
well, how can we be expected to know how many hours the driver has left? Uh, you, certainly we can't be uh, uh, simply fine because uh, uh, he's got an appointment that he can't make. And the language in the rule got a little bit squirrely uh, to the extent that the shippers and brokers cannot be prosecuted. You can't have a whistle blowing clean unless they're told in advance that the shipment cannot be made by a time certain. Uh, it's my hope that this rule has a real chilling effect on uh, the, the demands of shippers and brokers for timed deliveries that are beyond reason. The uh, old language well, that, of the bill relating it, 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 it... Go ahead. It's funny that you bring it up because someone sent me over quite, uh, 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 quite a lengthy question surrounding some of those topics, what you just laid out. Um, their question reads, how should one handle a brokered transaction once it begins to go south? And the example that they give is like you pick up a load, rate confirmation has a, a date for delivery, you reach the consignee, and they say, we had you scheduled to deliver yesterday or we don't have this on the schedule until tomorrow. Um, they're, they're asking how should how should that be handled with a broker transaction? Is that considered? Would that be considered a breach of the contract? Well, you got to watch very carefully if you are a driver for a company what your company signed and agreed to. Uh, if the uh, if the company warranted that you had the hours of service to make it, and the company agreed that you uh, uh, would deliver either early or late, then the shipper may have a defense to that. Uh, but very clearly, uh, from the point of view of the owner-operator of the, uh, the carrier, you should now insist in your contracts that you will provide service with reasonable dispatch and that the company should unload you during ordinary business hours when you arrive or after an hour and a half or two hours, you're paid attention. I think the new coercion bill uh, will make it a whole lot easier for the industry to tell uh, these aggressive brokers and carriers, look, uh, you can't uh, load me hot out of the field on Friday afternoon, and once it gets on my truck, tell me i got to be in Hunts Point, New York, on Monday morning at 6 a.m. or eat the load of cabbage because that is coercive. If they only pay for a single driver and you with a clean clock can't make the can't make the delivery, uh, I read the coercion rules to say they can't require it and shouldn't require well, what it. What he I think. The, go ahead. Well, what he was saying, stating specifically, like on on when you get a rate confirmation from a broker, and it's got laid out specific times, uh, a specific appointment times, and, and you arrive there at the uh, consignee, and they're saying, okay, great, we're glad you're here, but we had this, we had you on the schedule for yesterday, or, or better yet, they're saying, okay, well, you're here a day early, we don't have this schedule for delivery until tomorrow. Uh, well, if they tell you they tell you they don't have it delivered until tomorrow, you'd say, "Look, you need to note that I arrived today during ordinary business hours. I'll be back here tomorrow, but it'll be on COD. And at ten o'clock tomorrow, uh, 
uh, I'm going to have detention in the amount of blank I'll do on this shipment. Uh, I think it's incumbent for carriers to uh, begin to insist in contracts and on their websites that uh, it provides that they will provide reasonable dispatch and that they'll be un- unloaded at delivery. But you always have the option to say, I did not agree to be tied up an extra day when I deliver this load. I'm going to put it on COD, and you're going to have to pay me to wait. Uh, lots of times people honestly give a call back to the broker and say, look, Charlie, you told me I was going to get on uh, delivered at 5 o'clock. I'm sitting here. The constantly doesn't want me unloaded. Uh, what are you going to do to get me unloaded immediately? Uh, because uh, otherwise I'm going to put this, this stuff in a warehouse because I didn't agree to this. And, uh, you know, we have and, and frequently do uh, issue what's called an on-hand notice when that occurs. And I think now that uh, particularly when you're told you're, you're 40 minutes late for your delivery, you can come back in two weeks, uh, it's on our case, or we're going to charge you a late charge, that you didn't agree to, that's coercive. Okay, uh, so... You know, the, uh, the, the, uh, 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 they, they fiddled with the uh, coercion statute slightly so that uh, it won't catch an unsuspecting uh, 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 shipper. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, if they're really are putting it on your truck and then tell you you've got to be there by a time certain... Uh, you, uh, I would just simply write on the bill of lading before I pulled away, uh, we'll deliver with reasonable dispatch only uh, so that you're, you're not caught uh, in this situation. You have to explain to the dock hand, look, Bubba, uh, you know, it's not my fault you loaded me late. It's not my fault you booked it early. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm, uh, you can't require or permit me to exceed the hours of service as a precondition for delivering this load. Because we know that at this point in life, if you speed and get caught, or if you exceed the hours of service and get caught, the uh, the penalties for that uh, are, are, are uh, you know, basically your ability to get future freight. Right. And, and just being devil's advocate here, uh, Hank, just want to let's play the scenario out a little bit. If 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 say if you get someone and, and you claim the coercion, uh, you claim coercion on this thing, and, and um, you know you go through with all of that, and how quickly? My opinion, I'm thinking that hell. If, you, if you're able to pull that off successfully, uh, they some of these brokers and everything with their different agencies. What would be the remedy? For them blackballing you, because I mean, I mean, they they do have these uh these uh um you know um they they can go in and and kind of kind of blacklist you on on their on their list with all their members, and and that kind of basically puts you out of out of out of business. Is that correct? Well, I think the uh, you know there there is whistleblowing protection, and I mean obviously who's going to go out sacrifice themselves for the rest of the industry, but you know, I think that some of this has so much got so much repeat abuse that it's going to have a chilling effect on the practice. I'm doing a, a presentation to uh, 
my fellow motor carrier lawyers in in uh, January, and I'm I'm suggesting to those that represent shippers that uh, <coughs> they go back and take a second look at all of those contracts that talk about must deliver by a time certain, or you'll be penalized, or uh, you know there'll be a deduction for a delayed delivery. And I'm suggesting that uh, if they leave that in the contract, they're pretty well making the case that coercion of drivers exists and that they're pretty well making the case if uh, some driver is uh, 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 caught speeding as part of a wreck and says, the shipper made me do it, then the shipper is really pretty well drug into the lawsuit. I would hate to be a broker who now has to defend a lawsuit in which uh, the carrier says, well, you know, yes, I was in a rush because I knew I had to make the unreasonable delivery uh, and the coercion statutes that say that it's illegal for the carrier to do the shipper to do it. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want to to have to defend that shipper. So I I guess my hope is that uh, the very fact that there is that uh, procedure there will uh, give the motor carriers uh, a, uh, a, a hand up in ending the abuse, uh, you know, in the expedited world where uh, uh, there's a machine that's broken in, in Cincinnati and the, and the replacement parts in Chicago, uh, those expediters, they provide exclusive use. They may even provide team, but they don't guarantee anybody's take on delivery. You can pay FedEx uh, uh, for a 1030 delivery, but if they don't make it, they're just going to give you the freight charges back. They're not going to uh, uh, eat the draconian penalties that get broken every day over people hauling produce. So uh, uh, I may be uh, more of an advocate here than I am a realist, but I I certainly think that uh, uh, carriers should uh, should be suggesting uh, as part of the deal when somebody wants to give them a coercive provision, I can't live with that, and you can't make me. Uh, I've got a, a situation where a client has been asked to haul automotive freight, and it's got a provision in the contract that says if you don't make delivery to the Ford Motor Company by such and such a time, you'll pay for them to charter a plane and all kinds of special and consequential damages, and you total them up. And, you know, if you got caught in a snowstorm coming through Chicago and were late, Ford Motor Company could ask 40000 bucks from you. Now, that just plain ain't right. Uh, and, you know, I have traditionally told clients that have faced that that they need to push back on it and need to say, no, I'll put a team on it, I'll give you reasonable dispatch, but... I can't control the weather. I can't control a whole lot else. I'll let you know if I'm going to be late. But the idea of you not maintaining enough of inventory outside the uh, the Ford plant to last 24 hours and trying to say that uh, for my little measly bit, I'm going to pay $40,000, not only is it not fair, but you're basically trying to coerce me into possibly violating the hours of service and uh you know, the law won't let you do it. And, uh, you know, I think if enough of us, uh, if enough of us take that approach, maybe we'll uh, 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 have some success. 
these coercion provisions somewhat similar to the anti-lumping statute. And, you know, it took us a long time to uh, uh, basically let that anti-lumping uh, statute uh, work through to where uh, the consignor basically knew he had to pay for the lumper because he couldn't break it over the back of the motor carrier. It may take a long time for the coercion statute to have that same leveling effect, but I, for one, certainly think it should. Yeah, um, I, I was just, uh, you know, that, that's a lot to take in what we just discussed there with that whole uh, coercive situation. And it's, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it comes down. And, and it's kind of um, kind of like this the, the new ELD kind of mandate where, you you know, you got some guys that, that absolutely hate the uh, – the uh, ELD mandate, you know, don't want don't don't want to have the electronic logging devices in in the trucks or whatever whatever their reason may be, um, you know, and and you got people that love absolutely love the ELDs uh, for for the simple fact that you know there is no fudging in the system whatsoever. You can only get your you know you can only get your eleven hours of drive time, fourteen hours of on duty time, and and after that, uh, you know, you got you, you absolutely get those ten hours to yourself on the electronic logging devices. Um, I, I for one, I I kind of fall on the on the you know I'm I'm kind of on the fence either way. I, I can go with it either way, but I think that if um there's been a lot of free labor that's been afforded because of the uh, because of having the uh, uh, paper logs uh, when it comes to you know trying to make make sure to service your customers and and do different things. You know, I mean, most guys out here that's got his own truck, he's just trying to make sure he's putting food on the table and keeping a roof over his family's head. And uh, more, more more times out of night, you know, he's just going to do whatever he's got to do to try to make that happen. And uh, it's going to be yeah, definitely and, a, yeah, a change. You know, my, my, my view of the ELD is uh, when it was first promoted, it really was nothing more than a fancy uh, uh tachograph. It doesn't do anything other than measure productivity. It doesn't begin to measure fatigue. But uh, you can yell and scream at the at the technology all you want. All it really does is force compliance with rules that probably don't make a whole lot of sense. The issue is ultimately the rule and the lack of flexibility. Uh, we lost that battle when we uh, sat around and let them tell us about circadian rhythms and tell us that somehow uh, we were uh, uh, safer and better off uh, shutting down in a tin can in the Arizona desert for 10 hours than uh, going ahead and driving that extra hour on a cup of coffee and getting home for the weekend. Uh, you know, the, the rules they're trying to enforce are idiotic. Uh, it's not really the ELD's fault. Now, there's a lawsuit over that. OIDA has uh, already filed a lawsuit, uh, and I understand very well that there are some uh, uh, concerns uh, uh, about personal privacy and all that seems to be uh, their real issue. But actually, the cost of the ELD and the phase-in period uh, still, you know, a couple of years down downstream is... Uh, is not prohibitive. Uh, uniformly, uh, uh, drivers that, that, that switch over to it uh, find that life is a whole lot easier uh, 
in terms of not having to fiddle with the paper log. Uh, uh, the problem is the dirty little secret that you're talking about, that uh, uh, people uh, don't think the law is fair and uh, uh, accordingly don't uh, uh, don't really agree that strict compliance is uh, um, is necessary and the law does the electronic law does take away the ability to finagle uh, your time cards. Uh, so I mean I, I think I see both sides of it, but I think it's a, uh, in terms of the, the battles over safety, it's one that has uh, uh, pretty well been lost because. Congress has been behind the mandate. We've been chewing on it for a long time. It's in a final rule. The cost is uh, the cost has dropped. Uh, I think if we uh, have got any political mojo, it needs to be to do away with the 34-hour restart and hopefully find someone who would look at the idea of an alternative way to measure actual fatigue, uh, not productivity. You got to realize, guys, right. that the ones that are behind are that are behind a lot of this uh, idea about the restrictive hours for driving and, and meal breaks and all of these things are uh, uh, the the labor movement, which uh, really doesn't want to the independent contractor to have uh, uh, the competitive advantages that it uh, that it takes to be successful. Uh, so. Uh, I think they're more interested in, in measuring productivity than they are real fatigue. Right. And, and what can you tell us about the potential uh, truck or sleep apnea that's going that's, they they're talking about uh, bringing down the pipe? Uh, you know, I've got, and I, I can make available if anybody wants to contact me, a, uh, uh, a, a little monthly uh, print down and uh the uh sleep apnea uh issue is, is mentioned in that i think it was mentioned in in map 21 uh that there's going to be uh, some joint study between FMCSA and OSHA on the issue uh you remember there was a congressional stay put on any kind of uh, uh adoption of sleep apnea rules by guidance so Whatever is going to become of uh, additional sleep apnea rules, it's uh, it's it's not going to be as oppressive and as immediate as what we'll have with this uh, uh, this ELD and uh, uh, particularly the new safety fitness determination and some of the, the other issues they have on the docket. Uh, I don't think you'll see any real sleep apnea uh, changes made in the balance of this administration which uh, will get us through 2016. All right, so what other regulations and, and, and things that we got coming down the pipe that we need to be uh, kind of made aware of? And, and just a reminder, you guys, don't don't be so bastard. Don't let me hog all of it. Y'all can get in, too. If you got a question for Mr. Seaton, go ahead and press number one, and we'll get right to you. I got to see we got well, quite I, a few I, people I, on the I'd line. Be, I'd be interested in kind of a synthesis of the listeners in terms of how many people – uh, uh, you know, currently own their own uh, uh, their own rig and are contemplating getting authority. Uh, I, I continue to be amazed at the number of new applications that come down 
Foreign Authority, the agency has gone all electronic over the weekend, so that if there's anyone who wants to file the ability to uh, uh, fax in something is gone, you're going to have to uh, go through a, uh, uh, be led through uh, electronic filing. It actually is pretty damn confusing. Uh, we worked with the agency for the past month just to try to get the functionality out so that if you pressed yes, you went to the right next question. And uh, uh, I wasn't sure they were going to be able to even do that. But they do have a, uh, uh, a website up that will let you file for an application. Uh, it's confusing. A lot of people that have worked with it have, uh, have been calling and saying, I need help. Uh, if there are people that uh, are contemplating getting the authority, uh, it can be done. But if you're uh, uh, not real computer savvy, uh, you may you may need help doing it, and uh, uh, folks in my office uh, uh, can help with that. And the agents, uh, it should be uh, a simpler process, but it's uh, kind of like the frustration you've got if you've decided you're going to be an online buyer and uh, get online and spend uh, 50 minutes trying to. Uh, 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 get your wife a new vacuum cleaner only to be shut out uh, at the end because the computer doesn't understand what you're saying. Uh, you've got to kind of hold your mouth right and uh, and uh, have done it two or three times before before it works. Uh, I think this URS is, is, is going to be a, a dawning challenge. Uh, some of the issues that uh, are really particularly important is a new emphasis on agents for service of process because rather than trying to find you, uh, if they want to put you out of service uh, or get personal service, they're just going to send it to whoever you've designated as your agent and consider that that's official service on you so that the next thing you know is you're stopped at the scale and said, oh, you didn't get that notice? Well, we sent it to your agent. So things like that are are going to become important. Uh, obviously, there's this new thing called uh, enhanced investigative techniques, which is uh, more than just an ordinary audit. It's uh, uh, trying to, uh, uh, I guess, criminalize uh, uh, the investigative process so that they, uh, you know, come and stay and try to uh, pick through your records to, to prove that there's some pattern of of continuing abuse, and all of that's going to lead to, uh, I think, new entrants needing to be particularly careful about the fact that, yes, you've gotten the authority, but to keep the authority, you're going to have to keep a clean record so, so that the insurance companies will be happy, and you're going to have to uh, be sure that you request that new carrier audit and that you have uh, all of your books and procedures in a row to pass it. Uh, I don't think they're going to be able to stifle entrepreneurship in the trucking industry. There were 374 applications filed in the past three days. So we're a big and vibrant industry, and I, I never cease to be amazed at the number of people who uh, still still believe that, uh, uh, you know, you can uh, uh, comply with the regulations, work hard, make a decent living, and get ahead. Uh, I just think you're probably going to need help in the future doing it, uh, given the fact that uh, 
uh, Uncle Sam wants to get into your pocket and thinks he knows better than you do. So uh, uh, that's kind of my sermon for the night. If there are people online who are thinking about filing uh, for applications and need some assistance, uh, Rico will probably give you my contact information at the end. I've got people in my office that, uh, you know, are available to answer questions and help you process uh, your applications. Absolutely. And uh, let's see here. I got a a question that came in that asked the question. It was a follow-up to the question that I asked you earlier. It was talking about the the situation with what constitutes a breach of contract when dealing with the brokers. You sign a brokered agreement. Uh, wanting to know, do you have the ability, if 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 that does constitute a breach of contract, does that give you the ability to direct bill the shipper or the or the consignee uh, if the broker breaks their contract with you? Well, a lot of contracts will have provisions in it that says you'll look only to the uh, to the broker for payment of the freight charges, yada yada yada. But if you don't surrender in your contract, uh, within language it says that you promise you will not assert a lien on the goods for payment of freight charges. You basically got that right in commerce law. I've said it before. If you go and make a delivery and the company refuses to deliver it to accept it or starts jerking you around, then your answer is to... Uh, write an on-hand notice. I seem to get those uh, requests on Friday afternoon uh, to uh, uh, send what we call a three-masthead letter to the broker, to the shipper, and to the consignee, and it says we have on on hand at Philadelphia one load of of, uh, cabbage wrongfully rejected by S&H Grocery House at 3 o'clock (laughs) <laughs> Unless it's unloaded in the next two hours, the tension will run, and we're asserting our lien. We'll make the uh, load only available when freight charges and detention are paid. Now, you know, you can have uh, uh, brokers who are upset about that. You can have shippers and consignees who are upset about that. Uh, they not help your long-term relationship with the shipper, but... Uh, if your alternative is to come back Monday morning and spend the, the weekend riding around the city of brotherly love for no compensation, uh, it certainly is, uh, I think, a better course. It is your legal recourse. Okay. Now I've got another question that just came in uh, about the ELD, uh, the ELD, ELD rule for trucks 2000 and older. Are they really exempt from this rule? Yeah, and you know, I have heard that uh, trucks 2,000 years and older are uh, exempt uh, because retrofitting them would be difficult. I've heard that uh, there's a a real increase in the price on trucks 2,000 and older, and some people are thinking about putting brand new engines in them and running them forever. Uh, I don't know whether or not I recommend that. I honestly don't think that the... uh, ELD uh, is going to be that much uh, of of a pain, but there is that 2,000-year uh, e- exemption in the new bill. Of course, by the time it, by the time it goes into effect, those trucks 
uh, will be 17 years old. I guess with the well, new engine, uh, I'm not a mechanic. You tell me how many, uh, how long it runs. And I'm, I'm probably going probably going to ask you to peer into your crystal ball on this one and see what you think about this one. It's just a follow-up on that one. Um, do you think that the, the car brew that they have out in California, do you think that they're going to, is that a precursor to try to be something that they're going to try to roll out nationwide to kind of force everybody to uh, buy newer trucks? I was very disappointed that the Dunham Amendment didn't get through Congress. The Dunham Amendment was uh, a, uh, a Republican amendment to the House bill that uh, would have recognized uh, uh, the role of federal preemption in trumping what goes on in California. Uh, uh, I, I, it didn't get through Congress. I don't see uh, I don't see the courts uh, uh, ultimately doing a lot to stop. Anything that California wants to do in the name of public health, and uh, unfortunately, let's just pray it's not a bellwether for the rest of the country. Because uh, uh, given the politics out there, uh, uh, it, it it is it is frightening to think what can happen to uh, uh, the ability of long distance trucking to uh, to to operate without interruption. Uh, you know, some of the large companies are very fearful that, uh, uh, you know, California, in terms of the time and a half for overtime, in terms of uh, reclassifying uh, owner-operators as employees, uh, uh, enforcement of meal breaks and other kinds of restrictive things, are literally going to find and penalize them out of business. Uh, so... Uh, uh, that is uh, that is not a uh, a, a happy area. Uh, I I think that uh, one of the great things that we had going in this country when Eisenhower was around, we had an interstate system, uh, and uh, the Interstate Commerce Commission around, so we could say that if a guy was licensed, authorized, and insured, except for. Uh, uh, maybe a different taxing burden and a few differences in, in speed limits go from coast to coast uh, uh, and operate his truck in the same fashion uh, in each state he crossed. And it looks like it's uh, uh, in, in, in the name of uh, uh, safety, pollution, and, and pro-labor issues uh, becoming very difficult. Uh, so I don't know that I don't know that there is a uh, my crystal ball is still pretty cloudy where uh, where that's concerned. Uh, I do think it's one thing that uh, that most people uh, in industry can uh, rely upon, that there's need for uniformity. And at some point, uh, uh, California needs to, needs to get a wake-up call. How that's delivered, I'm not right. sure. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And um, tell you what, Hank, time really seems to be flying on us. We got about a little less than well, uh, eight minutes left in the show. Um, just to follow up real quickly, um, how are we coming along with the book? We still looking for maybe next year? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, what uh, what has happened is uh, with 
all of the effort uh, that we had to put forward on the highway bill, we basically lost some, uh, uh, most of November and the first week in December. We actually managed to, uh, uh, on behalf of these uh, small trade associations, reach out to 10,000 carriers that had conditional safety ratings and let them know that they were about to get thrown under the school bus unless they contacted their congressmen and senators. And, uh, you know, without without any real resources or lobbyists, we managed, I think, to uh, do an effective job of heading off what uh, uh, would have been pretty pretty poor legislation. So uh, I don't begrudge the, the, the time we spent in terms of the book, but uh, that plus this URS is... Uh, has, has kept us uh, uh, us very busy. Uh, I think, you know, in the coming months, uh, the, definitely the, you know, January, February time, uh, the book will be out. But uh, uh, particularly if there are uh, people on the line that have uh, uh, safety concerns or regulatory concerns, uh, I see that being where a lot of... Uh, uh, of, of our efforts are going to have to be chased. I have seen carriers literally uh, uh, put out of business on a pretense and then told they'd have to wait uh, five to six months before they could reapply. So uh, it, it's an area in which uh, uh, good legal representation is going to be necessary. And, and we'll probably hear more about it in the, in the coming year. Uh, fortunately, in the area of things like cargo claims, contracts, uh, bankruptcy, uh, uh, insurance issues, the kinds of things that the, that the book is covering other than safety, the law is pretty static. And uh, so it's uh, not going to have to go through any rewrite because of time. But, you know, this safety issue, you kind of get up in the morning and see what's uh, what's the next thing to be announced. Right. So and and in terms of... Seven minutes or so. Yeah, yeah, we got about seven minutes. Or so no one has kind of has, has raised their hand. I'm getting a lot of text messages and a lot of uh, <laughs> I don't know why they, they send they they kind of send them to me on the back channel. But we got a a ton of people on the line, but we we ain't getting nobody. Everybody being bashful on us tonight, ain't. Um, and I was gonna really try to get ready to wrap us up and tell everyone if they wanted to get in contact, they need to get in contact with you guys whether it be drafting up any contracts uh, or you got any legal questions, um, Hank and his uh, associates are more than happy to uh, to, to uh, assist you with that. You can check them out. Their website is transportationlaw.net. That's transportationlaw.net. And um, Hank, got a quick question on, on as far as these contact numbers. Do uh, the Virginia numbers work better or the Nashville numbers are, are the ones we should be giving well, to everyone? Uh, you know, if you if the best thing is to go through the Virginia number, which is uh, 703 uh, If you've got right. if you've got a general question, uh, if it could be answered by my staff, uh, uh, they'll do it. If uh, if it can't, they'll they'll forward the call to me. Uh, most of the time, I'm on I'm on the cell that you called me, so uh, you know it would help. And also. Uh, by going to the web, you can get our uh, uh, our, our email address, uh, and you can shoot us an email if you've got a question, which 
may beat telephone tag sometimes if you just got something that, you know, we can uh, send you. Also, the the, the website that uh, Rico gave you, transportationlaw.net, has a number of uh, free articles and digest and PowerPoint presentations on on a wide variety of issues. So you may be able to get your question answered by by simply going to the web and uh, using the search engines for the topics because uh, I think we've got uh, all several hundred articles there on uh, things like we've talked about tonight, like liens, like uh, uh, you know, like agents, like uh, uh, detention, uh, things like that are defined and summarized uh, from articles that I wrote for a number of years. One of the trade magazines. A wealth of a wealth of information, and just just a quick little um, non non solicited plug for Hank and Hank and the guys over there at uh, at his law firm. Uh, we had an issue. We um, personally, we had an issue personally with our motor carrier. We had an employee that got pulled over in Baltimore. Uh, we contacted uh, the, 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 the Seton and Hus law firm. They referred us to someone else that was more localized in that area. Uh, the gentleman done a tremendous job for us. We got all of the, uh, we had three different citations that they gave us. We got all three of them thrown out and acquitted on all three counts. Um, and and it, it was very minimum charge for what, um, with the with the new regulations and everything that are coming down, it's coming to the point now where you're gonna you you basically gonna have to start fighting. You have to start standing up and fighting for every little thing that you can if you think you're not uh, uh, guilty of what it is they're 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 charging you for. And uh, you know the gentleman that that referred that they referred us to done an excellent job. Just want to put a feather in uh, in Hank's hat and, and the guys over there to do a great job and and they have excellent resources and contacts if you have a problem throughout the country. Definitely, definitely follow up and contact That's another issue that uh, I'll just mention in parting, and that is that when we get a new safety fitness rule and as we go forward, there's a real emphasis on uh, from Congress and, and all points to ultimately determine on each uh, accident, each tow-away uh, uh, anything that's a recordable accident, whether it was preventable. So it, it's going to get to the point that we're virtually going to have to contest in real time every accident to try to prove that it was unpreventable because uh, the agency and everyone recognizes that when you've got the uh, uh, the non-preventable accidents in somebody's store, it's not fair. So uh, uh does that mean that uh, in the coming years we're going to have to have many trials to resolve every tow-away so that somebody doesn't get blackballed by having uh, uh, bad accident scores? Well, I hope not, but uh, you just can't uh, uh, assume if you're a small carrier that you can take the hit for a couple of rear-enders and it ultimately won't come back to hit you. Uh, the idea of data queuing it and and being smart about keeping your record as clean as you can is going to continue to be important. Absolutely. And with that said, Hank, we're running out of time. We're going to have to get out of here. I uh, want to thank you and appreciate you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on board and talk with us for a little while. We want to thank those that made the show possible, Kevin and Lisa Rutherford and the entire Let's Truck team. 
As always, ladies and gentlemen, be safe, be profitable, and master the journey. This is Rico Muhammad signing to you, signing off live here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks again, Hank. You're welcome. Good night. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-PUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.